Welcome to the God is Not an Asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your host, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. My last day attending church, aside from the, the um, you know, the internships that I had to do for, for seminary, but my last day, but this was before I started seminary, my last day in church was the week after the 2016 election. And the reason that it was my last day was because of the middle of the line, moderate road that was taken by church leadership that I felt was lukewarm when it comes to justice. It was a very much, there is, there are good people on both sides kind of, kind of, uh, thing. It talked, he, you know, obviously he, uh, the part, the speaker was somebody who is, uh, pro-life, which I don't re- I really call him pro-birther, non-pro-life, because you can't be pro-life and ban abortions outright. It makes no, insert curse word, sense. (laughs) It just doesn't. It makes me so angry. Um, And and the way that that whole issue has been commandeered by the Christian right um, is ridiculous. It it wasn't always that way, by the way. It's total political play. Um, And you know, th- this idea that, that there could be both, like that there was no stand for actual justice. There was no stand for the love of Christ because no. the love of Christ is justice oriented. You cannot deny that. You, I cannot see how anybody could deny that, that Christ, Jesus, the, that the Jesus of Nazareth who walked this earth did not stand for justice and inclusion, whether he did it silently or whether he did it flipping tables over both times, it was on the side of justice for the marginalized and for the oppressed. And that's why he was lynched by agents of the state. And so I could no longer attend an institution that would be so lukewarm. And I didn't think I would find place in in church again. And to be honest, I haven't really, I haven't really found church uh, found a place where I can be in church. Yeah. It's yeah. much more in community and communion with people who are like-minded, justice-oriented, and deeply spiritual. And and so this uh, kind of got, uh, it, it was ignited in 2016 after the election. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, interesting, I, I was following, um, among other people on Twitter, Rachel Held Evans, who is no yeah. longer with us, 
Yeah. And uh, Diana Butler Bass, they were having yes. a conversation. And for those who are listening right now, those are people who would prove to you that God's not an asshole. But anyway. Yes, indeed. Both of them. But Diana Butler Bass more uh, represents more of the uh, the mainline church world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rachel Held Evans uh, was kind of birthed by the evangelical church world. And so they their constituencies are, are you know, were a little different, are a little different. Um, mm-hmm. But they were meeting on Twitters with this this frequent refrain that you, I cannot believe how many people have told me that they uh, have not been back to church. You know, this was like, you know, two months after the election, three months. And they were both saying this. <laughs> and my, I, I didn't get any traction with this, but I replied to them. I said, I can believe it because black folks have been trying to tell y'all all of this time that it's not real. <laughs> what you are doing yes. is not real. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Oh my goodness. I can't even begin to tell you some of the stories from that I have heard and seen and experienced in white church when it comes to the double talk that that will give to anti-racism efforts, right? The, the, the ways in which we really don't want to put our money where our mouth is or our bodies where our mouths are, you know, like we, we really, we, we love to slow, slow the process down as much as human humanly possible in so many ways, deaths by committee, you know, uh, dotting every I and before allowing something to move forward. It's, it's really, it's kind of, it's kind of fascinating. I have to say, this is really funny though, little aside and another personal little story about Diana. I have a personal thing. I've met her a few times. She would not know. Yes. She would not know who I was. I've, I've met her a few times, but she would never know who I was, but she is very good friends with a very dear friend of mine. And his name is Mason. And we're going to have Mason on here because he's an amazing podcaster. What's Mason's Um, last name? Menenga, you've met him oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. in the okay. class. Yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's like rock star famous on Twitter. So I always tease him. He's my Twitter famous friend. He's got like 27,000 followers and he has slept on my couch. So, you know, um, just, just saying, just saying Mason. But Mason is, uh, he's, um, I should probably not put all of his business out on the world in the world, but he's having some ex- exciting things happen to him. I'll just put it that way. And, you know, Diana, the, he and Diana were having coffee and she's like, well, you know, Mason, you are, I am like your spiritual mom. So I better be first in line to get this news. And I'm like, uh, 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 first get, get in line, lady, <laughs> get in line. <laughs> Mason's got some other people he's got to talk to before he calls you when the good things happen <laughs> to him. So, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, Mason is another, another person who has gone through some major deconstruction. And I think that um, as we move into how we're going to approach this topic moving forward, one of the things that we really want to do is we want to have conversations and um, interviews with people like Mason, people like Matthew Paul Turner, uh, you know, other people who have gone through their own deconstruction process and come out with a vibrant, on the other side, with a vibrant um, viable faith that brings them joy and supports them in all of the ways that um, supports their full authenticity, the fullest expression of their authentic selves, right? In beautiful ways. And I think one of, one of the most beautiful things that I remember in my seminary experience, because so many of us were going through this deconstruction process, and one of our professors, her name is Helene, she said, 
she said, I know that the deconstruction process is, is really hard. And, and when you get to the bottom of it, it can feel really, really like a, a place of real deep grief and loss. But, but once you get there, keep going. Don't, don't stop at deconstruction, right? She said, keep going and rebuild. Find the new faith because faith, you know, de- deconstruction is, is not an, the antithesis of faith. It is an act of faith to, to question and to wrestle with. It is an act of faith. And I think that's Colby Martin who said that recently. And he's another one we, sh- we need to have on here. Colby Martin says, you know, this is faith is, that, or deconstruction is an act of faith. It's saying, I believe in this. I want to stop believing that God is an asshole and start believing that God is good. How do I get there? How do we get there? Well, how do we um, get there? <laughs> you know, uh, I think that one of the things that you said earlier kind of, uh, you know, points us in that direction. It, it's something, it's, it's a realization that it became very poignant for you when you were three years old. It's a lifelong experience. It, mm, it is, indeed. but it, but it has to, it, it needs religion to keep it suppressed. You know, these intuitions, mm. these sensitivities that we, you know, they, we, they are crushed out of us. And yes. so we have to give place to them. We have to give space to them, which is, you know, you were talking about earlier today, you had a great time in meditation. We really mm-hmm. need to learn uh, to practice solitude, uh, to approve of the voice that we are, the internal yes. us. We, yes. To approve of that. If you're never listening to that person, by implication, you're saying that per- person's not worth worth listening to. Right. Um, yeah. The more you oh. listen, you're wait, like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> say that again. Hold on. Say that again. What did you just say? If we're yeah, not paying if, attention. If, yeah, if you're not paying attention to the voice that you are and, and you keep repressing it, then you're assigning a value to it. You're saying that, that you know, this person is not worth listening to. Ooh, when in fact, good. that person is, is supremely worth listening to. Yes. And that's, that's why we are here. That's what this is about. You yes. know, that's what this podcast is. It's about elevating uh, people's own consciences. Yes, yes. I love that. So another a really beautiful moment in in my seminary experience that I had was Doug brought in had us meet with a rabbi who he taught taught us and I wish I could remember his name I don't I have to give credit I, I it's really important to give credit so I'll try to find my notes I don't know where they are but I'll try um, but he this guy said you know that the text that says uh, that is translated from the Hebrew scriptures as I am I am that I am right? Where God identifies God's self, right? And says, I am that I am. He says that that is actually a really horrible translation. And the actual Hebrew in that text cannot actually, there is no direct literal translation. It has its own meaning. But a much closer uh, translation would be, I will become, or I will become all that I have yet to become, or I will be all that I have yet to become, which Rather than pointing to a static God that never changes, God is actually becoming, that the very nature of God is becoming, right? Which leads us leads me to think about process theology, which talks about a God that is not uh, all-powerful and um, omnipotent and is, always knows exactly what, what's going to happen, which leads you down the road to predestination, which is a very dicey road to, to think about. 
but and God can't rather, be good in that in that situation. Exactly, exactly. God can but only rather, be stubborn. <laughs> exactly, and an asshole <laughs> in right. that situation, right? But but rather in process theology, process theology talks about a God that is always offering us the the best possible invitation in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And it's called that holy lore, right? So so in any situation I'm in, whatever my circumstances, I am always being offered the best possible choice to make. And I can choose to make a different one. And guess what? God's going to meet me there with the next best possible choice, right? I'm always being offered the best possible choice with the presence of God, right? And I think that's such a beautiful way um, and a beautiful, a beautifully different way to think about the divine than what so much of evangelical offers us, you know? And so th- those are some of the topics that we're hoping to dive into more deeply. So everybody, we are Carrie Connolly and David Moore, and this is God is Not an Asshole. And we are delighted to report to you the veracity of our claim and how enthusiastic <laughs> we are about all of this. And I'm so delighted to, I, I told Carrie some weeks ago, I said, I, I um, by, by getting her to offer to, to do this, I said, I feel like, uh, you know, when, when a baseball player gets called up to the majors and their first at back, they hit a grand slam. Uh, oh my gosh. Know, I, feel, so I feel so honored to be here. This is incredible. I'm so excited to have these conversations. I, I love talking about this stuff. And I, you know, I appreciate the privilege here, Carrie, uh, you know, and this is very profound for me, um, to invite you again to um, to be a part of a movement in this respect. You know, we talked about how this uh, deconstruction, this healing uh, thing that's going on, people coming into contact with themselves, encountering themselves, especially over the past few years, and making um, what otherwise would have been unthinkable uh, decisions uh, with their lives, but they're recognizing their accountability to their own selves. Um, but, um, there's another movement that I am honored to be a part of. Uh, I was born in 1954, the same year that uh, Oprah was born, the same year mm-hmm. that Denzel was born, uh, the same year that Condoleezza was born. The only difference is, is that I have a last name. But anyway, um, <laughs> there's another person uh, uh, born that year um, that I have a profound degree of respect for, and that's Mumia Abu-Jamal, mm-hmm. who is a political prisoner in the United States that most of the United States, most of our listeners will, will not recognize this name, I, I'm thinking. But Mumia Abu-Jamal has spent most of his adult life in prison. His wife died just just a couple of months ago. Um, and it's so amazing to me how we are able to keep knowledge of him uh, from the public as a society when he is the only person that Paris has made an honorary citizen besides Pablo Picasso. Mumia Abu-Jamal is an honorary wow. citizen of, and they've named a boulevard after him. And so mm-hmm. Parisians know about him, the French know about him, but here in the States, we don't. But anyway, he was born the same year, 1954. And 1954 is the year of Brown v. Board of Education, mm. which essentially renewed a movement for righteousness 
in this country. And I feel like I am part of that movement and I'm a product mm-hmm. of the movement. You know, I share, I share so much with those famous people that I mentioned earlier in that our parents or our grandparents were part of the great migration leaving mm-hmm. the South, you know, Denzel's family in New York, Oprah in, in Chicago, uh, right? Chicago. Yeah. And, and uh, Condoleezza's family went to Colorado and my parents came to California. So all, uh, they, they all came from someplace in the South and relocated as part of the great migration. And it just brought a, a spiritual release, I think, to our country. Brown, you know, I have the greatest respect for Thurgood Marshall and, um, you know, the, what he did in order to bring about Brown v. Board of Education, which did not change everything, but it, but it changed it inside. You know, in the minds and the hearts, something had to be recognized that had been denied before. Well, one more person who was born the same year, 1954, was Ruby Bridges, who was, you know, accompanied by the feds in order to integrate her school as a little girl. Now, I integrated my school as a little boy, born the same year as Ruby. We lived in San Francisco, so I didn't didn't need armed accompaniment. Mm -hmm. However, this was 19... This this is still the 1950s, you know, and the early 60s when I was integrating my school, and uh, the treatment was horrible. Right. Um, so, in, in a way, I feel like I'm a pioneer of trauma, uh, in yeah. you, you know, with kind of an anonymity uh, to mm. someone like a, a Ruby Bridges, and I feel like it's a the greatest honor to be a part of this generation. And when I say I, I feel honored to be able to invite you, Carrie, to be a part of it, because there have always been people who are non-Black who have been essential, who have been vital to making mm-hmm. it happen, you know, uh, especially mm-hmm. during the 60s, the marches were, you know, there were a lot of Unitarians, a lot of Jews, you know, not evangelicals, but still there were there were humans who were not Black who carried yes. a, yeah. a great part of the burden. And so... You know, that's how I see you. I welcome you as a part of my experience in my life. And so welcome to the movement. That, thank you. That really, um, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if, uh, I really appreciate you saying that. And it's, um, it's an honor and a privilege, literally, to be able to do, um, the work that I do. And I always do it with, um, great humility and always, uh, and when I say great humility, it almost sounds really unhumble, not humble to say I do this with great humility. But what I mean is like, I always try to do it carefully, really, really carefully, because there's so many opportunities for white bodied people doing this work to do more harm than good. Right. And, um, I never want to do that. At the same time, I feel like the movement that you were born into and, and were a part of has reached a new phase, right? And that there is a there is a a new awakening that's happening in which the and I'm going to say this because people who know me and know my work know I don't really mince words when it comes to this. There is an ugliness in whiteness that is coming to the surface for everyone to see. It's always been there. It's always been there. And when you talk about Ruby Bridges and the pictures of the white women behind her, right? In that, in those famous pictures, 
That was immediately what I thought of, right? That image is such quintessential whiteness, right? When I, when I see that picture, the, those snarling faces at the back of that precious little girl, right? When I think about that, that is what we are being shown to our, like whiteness is, is yeah. having to take a good look at ourselves, right? And, and to see the snarling, our own snarling face. Yeah. And I kind of see myself as a companion to white people who are ready to heal that part of themselves, right? Who are ready to face that in themselves, that shadow work, and to companion them. And I mess it up every single day. I say something wrong every single day. And I, I openly accept correction and I pray that I won't, I won't do more harm. So, so your words of welcoming me to the movement um, came at a really good time because there are days when I think I just need to, to just not do this work, not because I don't care about it, but because I might, do, might be doing more harm. Yeah. And that is always the, the, um, the thing that we have to be careful about as white people to have the stamina to keep going. So you well, just, that's, uh, I think that's why I, I, I feel the liberty to, to welcome you because, you know, I see you as a friend. I see you as a, a co-worker and, you know, there are a lot of white folks who, who are experts. I mean, they don't <laughs> express the humility and, and willingness <laughs> to learn and be corrected that you, do. I mean, there's somewhere out there, they got their program going, you know, they, uh-huh. it's almost like they want to teach me, you know, they, uh, they yes, they, let me tell you what it's oh, like to be black, David. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Oh my goodness. And, 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 and invariably you'll find some religious roots to that. Of course. Absolutely. Oh, I, yes. 110%. It comes down into the, into the, the missions work, right? It's, yeah. it's all, we could do a whole pod, a whole episode about that. Just about the ways in which Christian missions work um, does so much harm um, and is rooted in white pseudo supremacy. We could talk now, about see, that a lot. That's a question that someone like Doug Paget would uh, and yourself would not have to contend so much with because you 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 were the forerunners in your families um, mm-hmm. in a sense. But you know, I think of someone like Brian McLaren, uh, whose parents were missionaries. You know and he lived in Africa as a child, that kind of thing. How, how do you process the, you know, the coming to terms with um, mm-hmm. the questions that arise into the, 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 the legitimacy of, of what your own parents might have done? And listen, I, you know, I may not have grown up in a, in a family like that. However, the truth is, is that I worked on a staff of a church that still sends missions trips to Africa and still supports things like Project Shoebox, right? Yeah. Like be, these kinds of um, Christian evangel- evangelical uh, or evangelistic types of efforts that are sending completely useless shoeboxes filled with completely useless plastic stuff over to uh, impoverished areas of countries with to send them stories about the gospel and they're like what am i supposed to do with this i, I have no idea what this is right it's the, the industry of missions work is is something that we could look at and because churches are still doing it church it's you know your average evangelical i guarantee you is involved in some sort of missions work whether they're supporting it financially whether they're doing it to their local uh inner city quote inner city mm-hmm. or whether they're doing it 
to across the country, across the ocean, that kind of stuff is still happening. So it's very my understanding uh, of the you know the the people who are the recipients of that kind of uh, large S, if you want to call it that, would prefer other things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and the things that they want are not necessarily things, but correct. Uh, yeah, it t- they are the they are the religious equivalent of Super Bur- Super Bowl jersey jerseys from the losing team. You know those things get <laughs> yes those yeah. things get shipped off to um, to countries you know where because there's no use yes. for them. Yeah, and, yes, exactly. and that's the kind of thing that, you know, that, that people in the global South get um, from. And, and, and it doesn't mean that nothing good is ever given. It's just that um, there is this lack of recognition of the dignity of the recipients that, that yes. they're not just recipients because they're poor. They are they have been mistreated and excluded on a systemic and global scale. Yes. And so. They des- they deserve this. You're you're not you're not giving them a, a gift. You're paying them back. And yes, a enough. small tiny portion of the yeah. resources that we raped and pillaged their land for. Yes, lots of oh, we, so this is a little bit of a sampling of some of the conversations that we're going to have between the two of us and hopefully with some amazing guests that we've got lined up. So I hope that that wets your whistle a little bit to those people who are listening. Um, as far as what we're going to be talking about. And, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to have these conversations. Yeah. For anybody who listens, this is, this is such a treat to us because we are so in awe of you uh, for your, mm-hmm. your survival, for, for you continuing to ask questions for you getting knocked down, but getting back up. And, mm-hmm. and we're just here, not as uh, people who know it all, Obviously, but we're here to say that we're here. We're we're here to to be present for you, but we're looking for you to be present for us as well. Yes, yes, I love that. You are your companions on this journey, and you don't have to do it alone. And uh, we're here to ask questions. And hopefully, in our show notes, and definitely in future episodes, we'll have an email address set up for you that you can send us questions, comments, all of that kind of stuff. We want to hear from you. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Woohoo! Yay! Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.